Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. This is episode number 17. As always, I am one of your hosts, Simon. And I am Lee. Um, just before we get into the meat and bones of this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you on behalf of both of us to everyone that continues to uh, listen to the podcast, support the podcast, um, you know, shares posts, retweets things, blogs things, you know, just generally does anything to kind of draw attention to the podcast, help us out. Um, you know, it is massively appreciated. Um, I continue to say and will always say that we are part of one of the greatest communities in the world, um, being, you know, not only the horror community, but also the horror podcast community as well. Um, you know, thank you so much to the Horror Friendly Podcast, the Horror Project, Scaring Sam, Cast Me to Hell, uh, the Stephen Queens, uh, Behind the Screams, you know, all of these guys run really great podcasts um, and they're, you know, such lovely people as well. So, you know, support those guys as well. And again, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for the support from not only yourselves, but also everybody else that, you know, takes the time to comment on a post or share a post or likes a post. You know, it doesn't seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but it does mean a lot to us and it really does help us while we're still trying to grow the audience of the podcast. Um, so thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, this week's episode, we are covering... What are we covering this week? We are covering Repo, the genetic opera. <coughs> yes. Yes. I'm so excited. This is big excites for me. <laughs> <sighs> so... Let's let's talk a little bit about Repo. Let's talk a little bit about Repo. So, uh, the film was released in 2008. Mm -hmm. Based on a 10-minute stage play called The Necromancer's Debt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's one of those films that became a cult classic. Mm -hmm didn't really do so well on release. In fact, it was released really quietly to like 14 cinemas. 11 screens. 11 screens. Released, yeah. And just kind of very quickly came and went and just... No one no one really saw it unless they were already aware of it because I don't think Lionsgate really promoted it very well. No. See, the weird thing about this movie is, by all accounts, it had a really easy production. Like, no issues. I mean, there were issues that arose when the film had been released, but we'll talk about those later. Now, what I don't understand with Lionsgate is Lionsgate in the early noughties had loads of franchises. Um, they they did uh, they acquired the rights to House of a Thousand Corpses, they did Devil's Rejects with Rob Zombie, they released uh, American Psycho and American Psycho 2, mm -hmm. they did the Hostel films... Um, and like a few of these other big like horror franchises. Now the biggest horror franchise they have is the Saw franchise. Saw franchise. So Darren Lynn Bowsman, who directed Saw two, three, and four, mm -hmm. is the only person I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. In the history of the Saw franchise, to not only direct three consecutive Saw movies, but I think he's also directed the most Saw movies in general. I could be wrong. But I'm pretty confident that is the case. Mm -hmm. um, because after he left the franchise, there was like I think a revolving chair of some of the producers, some of the like other guys stepped in, but I think he is the only one that has directed three consecutive ones that kind of follow a story as well. Mm -hmm. 
So he made three of the most successful and I think three of the fan favourite films because Saw 3 is my all-time favourite Saw movie and it's one of his. Now, you've got this director who's taken the helm of your franchise <laughs> and has made it more arguably more successful than what it started at. Mm-hmm. And then his next project that he signs on after that is with yourselves. And then you have... So you have him who is coming off of the back of three really successful franchise films for you that have made you a lot of money, bringing you a cast that includes a lot of well-known people on an original IP, and you do fuck all with it. Yeah. Because the thing is, I don't think this movie costs them a lot of money. Um, um, so the budget... Budget? The budget for the film like was... Seven million or 8.5 something. million. Yeah, which, to me, sounds like a fuck ton of money, but I know in like cinema standards that is not a lot of money to make a film on. That's probably more than the Saw movie. I think the Saw movies generally are in the realm of three to five. So okay. it's, it's possibly nearing double the budget of a Saw movie. But then when you consider that budget would have gone on the soundtrack because there's a lot of... As we'll talk about yeah, later, we'll talk about that there's a lot of famous people involved in the soundtrack... And there's a fair amount of people, named people, in the actual film itself. So, but still, $8.5 million is not a huge amount of money. No, so the, the, out of the three movies Darren Lynn Bowsman did for the Saw franchise, two has a $4 million dollar budget, mm. three and four had $10 million each. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I generally think uh, like the Saw movies had quite a low budget. I, yeah, I think it's they... got more as the films mm. have gone on. But it is on the film, like, 8.5 million, I, like, I know for cinema standards it isn't that big of a budget, mm-hmm. in all honesty. It's a lot of money to normal human beings, but by cinema standards it's not that much. But you have put 8.5 million into this yeah. project, and then you, they, like, they didn't advertise it. And it's one of those movies I feel like if it had got advertised, it would have been picked up by subculture kids very quickly. Like, the yeah. goth kids, the emo kids, all the alternative kids would have immediately been like, what's that? A rock-based musical? Yeah. I'm gonna go fucking watch it. And the thing is, as well, like, the marketing for this movie would have been really easy for, like, the other side of things as well. Like, the mo- this movie first drew my... Like, got drawn to my attention based off the fact of Darren Lynn Bowsman. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of him until he directed Saw 2. I adore the Saw franchise. I love the first Saw movie. It's part of the reason why I love James Wan and Lee Wan L so much, because I think that first movie... It's yeah. fucking genius. Now, when you consider Darren Lynn Bowsman basically went from being, I don't want to say a nobody because that's harsh, but he hadn't really directed anything before Saw 2. And then he did Saw 2, Saw 3 and Saw 4. Then he kind of became elevated off the back of that. I My interest was peaked in repo before i even knew anything about it mm. because i'd heard whispers that the guy who was doing these saw movies that i loved had a new movie coming out and that was immediately when i went what i need to find out what this movie is so you could have even away from the film's aesthetic and what it's about <laughs> just and market it, market it, it on the, fact the director of, of saw. saw 2 like it's like, kind of like what blumhouse do or so blumhouse or yeah blumhouse will will buy, basically market their movies off of the back of their previous movies. So you take a garbage dumpster fire of a movie like Fantasy Island or Truth or Dare, and then they will put at the top of it, 
from the makers of Get Out and uh, Split. Nobody involved in either of those movies was involved in the mm-hmm. making of Fantasy Island or Truth or Dare, but it's the same production company. That's how it's that kind of that osmosis of like, oh, there's that thing I like and this other thing is associated with that, so I'll go and see it. And that it, it, it's the biggest open goal for Lionsgate that they, they could have ever dreamt of. Oh, yeah, massively. And they fucked it massively. They fucked it huge. Also, just on your earlier point, so you were correct, Daryl and Basman has directed the most Saw movies. The only other person who has directed more than one is Kevin Goretta. Goretta's, yeah. Yeah. Goretta's, Goretta. So, Bowsman has done Kevin. four, or will have done four. When Spiral comes when out. When Spiral comes out, and he has done two. And everyone else is a single film, one and done. On the Saw note, bye. good news that we heard today, Saw 10 is already in production, in early development. Yep. Um, so they, they either have big hopes for Spiral, because I, I literally just, before we started recording this, I just texted our friend Adam and said, Saw 10 is happening, which means Spiral is more canon to the Saw franchise than they're letting on, and they're expecting it to do good things. So hopefully, because I, I will talk forever about how much I love Darren Lebowski, hopefully, because he's They'll been away for back. a little while, if Spiral's a success, that means he'll hopefully become back into the limelight again and he'll start direct because I think the last film he made was Abattoir which was maybe 2014 oh I 2015 think correct because I've seen Abattoir there are not many Darren Lynn Bowsman films I have seen because um, after this of his musicals so after this he did so he did Reaper the Genetic Opera then he did the remake of Mother's Day then he did the Devil's Carnival Alleluia 11-11-11 which came out on the 11th of November 2011 mm-hmm. And then he did Abattoir. I think so that is the range did of his filmography. Repo, and then he did Mother's Day, 11, 11, 11, Devil's Carnival, a film called The Barons, Angelus, Tales of Halloween, Alleluia, Abattoir, St. Agatha, Death of Me, and then Spiral. Shit, man. So, he's so done he, more. he has been quietly he has, working. He has been quietly working. Uh, of all of the stuff I've seen of his, I've only seen the three musicals mm-hmm. and um, Abattoir. If you are lucky, though, and cinemas do reopen next month and we get Spiral, there may be a fucking Spiral episode coming at some point next month. Do you know what? I have not watched the Saw franchise. I'm not a fan of um, Saw as a franchise. That is just never tickled my fancy. I'm not a big fan of... Um, Torch porn. Uh, torch porn. That's the best way to put it. But Spiral looks really fucking good and I probably will go and watch it. I'll probably regret it afterwards. <laughs> But I will go and watch it. Oh, also, another, th- other shit he did as well that I've also seen. He directed the um, Fight Like a Girl video for Emily Autumn. Oh. Which, is, which makes sense, seeing you know, as she is in both Devil's Carnival and Alleluia. Mm-hmm. And she's on the soundtrack for Saw 4, which he directed. She is, indeed. Um, I can't think what the song title is, because we have this... I think it's Organ Grinder is her song mm-hmm. that's on. And um, X Japan's song, X. No, not X. Four, which is on the Saw Four soundtrack, it was the lead single. Is how Yushiki got involved in overseeing the soundtrack for this, oh. because Four was written specifically for Saw Four. It was the lead single. It's the song that plays over the end credits, and the music video, which has got them performing in to- the building, in Tokyo, yeah. has actually got loads of clips from Saw Four in it. Yes, um, it does. So it was through that connection that he got involved in the production of the soundtrack for this film. So we'll move on a little bit from there, but 
Yeah, it had quite a big budget. It performed very badly. Is basically what I'm <laughs> saying. One hundred and eighty-eight thousand dollars. That is how much it made. I just don't. I just don't get it. And like, the, the thing is, it's one of the. It, it is one of those films that because I picked it up in Blockbusters. I think I literally looked at the cover. It had Annie's to a head in it. I was like, well, I'm fucking sold. Let's watch this shit. Hmm. Like that was literally. I picked it up. Went. Oh, Anthony Shearer heads in this. Ah, fuck it. I'll watch it. Because it was the same time I rented Coraline. <laughs> see, I have a weird thing about movies. Like, I see, I personally really love just really unusual, like, uninteresting film. Like, not uninteresting, but interesting films that, like, maybe five people have heard of. And I love having, like, this weird little thing that's like, oh, my God, like, this is a film that no one else knows about. It's... And I will get, like, obsessive over stuff like that. And I will be, like, waiting for things to come out. Like, I've waited months and years for films to be released because, like, one of the films that I'm a bit like that with is Southland Tales, which is the mm -hmm. second film that Richard Kelly made after Donnie Darko mm -hmm. because I was such a huge, huge nerd for Donnie Darko when it came out. And Southland Tales is one of those movies that very few people have heard of. But I bought, I've got all the comic books. I've got the DVD. I just bought the Blu-ray with the cans cut on it recently. And it's one of those films that I love telling people about because it's it's so interesting and unusual. And See, it's the same with Repo. Like, yeah, this is one of those films that like not many people have heard of. It It has a really great cult following and it has a massive online following mm -hmm. still to this day. Um, but it's one of those films that like, oh, whenever anyone asks me to recommend them a film, this is the film I recommend. Yeah. Because it's weird. And the thing is, is it's, it's got something for everyone in it. You don't like rock music, fine. You'll probably like something else in it. Mm -hmm. And it's a, just an all-round good film. But it's also one of those films that people tend to bond over as well. Like me and my friend Emma, who I went to college with, we used to watch this every time we had a sleepover together. We would say we would watch a repo. In fact, maybe what, like three weeks into us dating, we sat on the phone with each other and watched it at our own houses yeah. <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> yeah. That's that's true. That's a true story, actually. That actually happened. True story. I think it was on like the horror channel or sci-fi channel. It or was on sci-fi at yeah. like half eleven at night. Yeah, it was like... And I'd rang you to see if you'd ever seen it. And you were like, "Yeah, I'm putting on sci-fi. We'll watch it together." Yeah, it's one of those movies. It's like, it's like, um, I guess like Tammy and the T Rex is another example of a yeah. film like this that people like uh, weird, obscure films. Um, Please don't ask us to do a Tammy and the T-Rex episode because I'm not entirely sure I'll be able to get through a whole episode after seeing that movie. But now I've said that, that's, that's what everyone's going to want. Us to. Um, but yeah, it's one of those movies like you kind of feel almost like you're in a secret club when you meet someone else that's seen it. Because you're like, shit man, <coughs> man have, you heard of this, have you heard of this repo film? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's you like, kind of give each other the nod of like... I think every everybody has kind of that one or two movies that are like the films that like when you meet someone else who has also seen it and also loves it, you're like, we're part of a really tiny club of people yeah. and this is really cool. Because I get like that whenever I meet anyone who anyone else who's seen Wrist Cutters. Mm -hmm. I get really like, holy fucking <coughs> shit, we must sit now and discuss this movie immediately. Yeah. Because it's a movie not a lot of people have seen. Yeah. And I feel the same way about Repo as I do about Risk Cutters. There's a few movies that I saw when I was growing up that are kind of like that. The Doom Generation is no, one of them. Know. It's a movie with Rose McGowan in it. Um, I don't want to say any more about that movie because it's kind of controversial and hard to explain. Anybody that's seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If not, go and find a copy of The Doom Generation and watch it. It's basically, the best way to describe it is it's natural born killers for teenagers. Fair. It's the best way to describe it. Um, Another film is Idle Hands, which is yeah. another one of those movies that nobody had heard of when I was a kid. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? 
And I was like, it's this amazing movie about this stoner who's got a fucking possessed hand. And weirdly, Starship Troopers. When I was a kid, I fucking loved Starship Troopers. And it was one of those movies that, like, maybe five <laughs> people I knew had seen. And I was like, bro, it's got, like, massive... Like, our friend Adam, it's his favourite movie. And I always rinse him about it because I'm like, you're just saying that to be edgy and to be funny. And he's <laughs> I, like, no, genuinely, it's my favourite movie. I think it's one of those things, though, with with films like this and, like, the films you said, like, with Risk Cutters, because Risk Cutters, you try and explain it of, like, it's a story about a guy who commits suicide and what happens after you yeah. commit suicide. Like, that sounds like the most dreadfully horrendous movie ever. It's a really fun, light-hearted film mm-hmm. for the context of what the movie's about. But that's really hard to explain to somebody. Same with this. It's really, it's a really hard sell. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why these movies become so cult. Yeah. Because they're hard to sell to other people. A prime example of a movie that I would compare this to in terms of the audience that has grown for it over the years. Um, Tank Girl. Tank Girl, yeah. Because that's a fucking weird movie. But to it's to also to very much kind of similar to um, going back to the original classic. Um, I don't know Frankenstein Drag Queen then. Rocky no, Horror Picture Rocky Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Because from what I remember, I'm a huge Rocky Horror fan, but it, was, it didn't do very well on release and it gained a no. cult following over the years and became this really popular film. I mean, that is a really hard movie to sell to people. Um it Same is. as, uh, like, the sequel, the sequel as well. Isn't even I've hard never to sell. seen Shock the sequel. Um, just going back very briefly, because I know he will hear this. Our friend Adam has no idea how close he was on his wedding day to getting a framed Starship Troopers poster because he kept going on so much about how much he loved that movie and it's his favourite movie. And I don't think I've ever told him this. Um, so I he's think about, Rach would have, like, yeah, killed you. He, he's about to hear it now. Um, I nearly bought him one of the theatrical posters and had it framed for his wedding present. Um, and then I thought better of it and, and didn't. Yeah, if I like you alive. I would not have enjoyed Rachel murdering you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I feel like we've kind of gone off on a tangent, yeah. which has started happening a lot recently. We've not even had caffeine today. I think it's just we're very tired. I'm drinking a, I'm drinking a cup of tea, which is quite uh, nice. Vaguely caffeinated. <laughs> But yeah, so um, we'll we'll get into the meats and bones, like the cast and everything like that. So um, the director, as we've said, is Darren Lynn Bowsman. It was written by Darren Smith and Terence Zudnick. Mm-hmm. And it's... Who, who, like, just as a quick aside, who or what is Terence Zudnick? Like, is he a musician? Is he... Who a... or what is a Terence Zudnick? But is he... I... Um, but like, was he an actor? Was he like a comic book artist? He's, I, know, I he, know he's a comic book artist because he does, he does all the does comic, the comic book panels, in, panels in, the film. Yeah. in this. He is a artist, singer, actor, writer, composer, producer, illustrator and storyboard artist. Who the fuck do you think he is? Jim Steinman? <laughs> Apparently so. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, he's, he does a bit of everything according to his Wikipedia, basically. He's a bit of a Swiss army man, isn't he? He is a bit of a, bit of a Swiss army man. Um, yeah, he's like composed for stuff and things like that. <clears throat> so he's done a bit of everything. It's not the same. Um, and then it's starring um, Alexa Vega as Shiloh Wallace, uh, Paul Savinio, Savinio, Savino, Savino as Rotty Largo, Anthony Stewart Head as Nathan slash the Repo Man, um, Sarah Brightman as Blind Mag, Paris Hilton as Amber Sweet. Bill Mosley as Louis, Luigi Largo, 
um, Kevin Orgerville. Ogreville. Ogreville or Ogre. Yeah. Um, and From the um, industrial metal band Skinny Puppy. Yeah, as Pavi Largo, Terence Zudnicka's Grave Robber, and then Sarah Power, who is Marnie, very mm. briefly in this yeah. movie. Um, so it's the cast alone. So I didn't know it was Paris Hilton until the third time I watched this mm-hmm. movie because she's really fucking good in it. Yeah. See, the thing is, because, like, that's one thing we didn't mention about the production. So when when Darren Limbowsman got involved, he actually directed a short film version of he this, did. which they presented to the film studio to get the film made. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally she was called Heather Sweet, she and was. she was played by Shawnee Smith, who, if anybody knows, is Amanda from the Saw movies. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, she had that relationship with Darren. And it's really fucking annoying, actually. I mean... Because this movie, like, Paris Hilton, I'm just going to say it up front before we get into the film, is fucking great in this film. But when this film first came out, it did seem a bit like stunt casting. And now I know that Shawnee Smith could have been in it. It makes me, and I wonder, I do wonder if that was like a studio thing of like, oh, Paris Hilton's right here. Nope. Let's. Nope. <coughs> so, um, I can't even remember who it was. I feel like I it think was it was Darren. No, I don't think it was Darren. I think it was Terrence. Or the other Darren Smith mm-hmm. wanted Paris for the part because she'd shown interest in the project, and um, oh, it's the other way round. One of them, so it's either Nicole Bowsman wanted her, and the other one refused to audition her. They wanted her nothing to do with the project at all, and eventually caved to the pressure and were like, "Fine, we'll see her." Yeah, I think it was Darren <laughs> who didn't want anything. Darren Limbaugh, yeah. if I remember correctly. I literally was like, fine, we'll see her. And she came in full costume, completely prepared, 100% wanted to be in the fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And he kind of went, oh shit, no, you're really serious. You really want to do this, don't you? Because the thing is, a lot of people, like I said before we before we recorded this, a lot of people didn't think that she had much acting. Because obviously the only real high, high profile film that she'd done before this was House, House of Wax. Wax yeah. Which was like three years prior to this. And she's not great in it. But then she did, she did like the hottie or the naughty. Um, I think she's in the new, is she in the new guy? Not the new guy. The one with Rob Schneider in it where he's like, he does the body swap. With, oh, hot uh, chick. Yeah, she's in that, I Maybe. think. I don't know. She was in an episode of The O.C. She was in Supernatural. She's been in like a... She she has 18 acting credits for characters that she's played in things prior to this without all of the things that she'd starred in where she was just like a cameo as herself. The TV show that she was in, The Simple Life. She I think she launched her music career two years before this. So she'd done like... Stars of Blind had come out. Like the whole sex tape thing had exploded. Mm-hmm. So she was like... And, I mean, to be honest, for anybody that wasn't really, isn't old enough to have been aware of what was going on in the 2000s, the 2000s belonged to Paris Hilton. Yeah. And she's, she's one of those people as well. Like, she was really passionate about this project to the point where at one point um, production was going to get shut down because they'd gone like 500,000 over budget. And she made guest DJ appearances at clubs in the area to make the money to help them finish filming because she she really she honestly believed in the project and i think it comes through quite a lot that everyone who is in this is in it for the passion of being in it and one of the interesting things is as well is if you watch the press tour 
she got paired up with Sarah Brightman. So her and Sarah Brightman did a lot of their interviews together. Yeah. And even Sarah Brightman, who, if you don't know who Sarah Brightman is, where the fuck have you been living for the last 40 <laughs> years? Um, you know, who classically trained opera, opera singer, who's one of the most, I would say, most famous Broadway stars yeah. of a generation, um, was praising her. Was like, you know, because... Harris was like, I was really nervous about working with you. And Sarah Brightman sort of saying, no, like, I had a lot of fun working with you. Like, I was happy to be working with you and meeting you. And you were so good. And I think if you're in a musical with Sarah Brightman and Sarah Brightman is praising your performance, then you're obviously doing something right. And um, the thing is, as well, with Sarah Brightman's casting is Sarah Brightman wasn't the original no, she wasn't. role. When the budget got reduced, or they or they were like the budget, the budget tightened up, yeah, they the other actress dropped out. Dropped out. I don't know ever said who the other actress they had were was. No, but she dropped out, and Sarah Brightman stepped into the, the role. The only other person I can imagine playing that role, and especially at the time the film was made, is Amy Lee. Yeah. Because the way Blind Mag looks and sings reminds me a lot of Amy Lee. Yeah, so like, I see like, someone like that, or um, also uh, down the same lane of maybe like uh, Taria Taranen or... Sharon um, Denadale. Sharon Denadale. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could vaguely see any of those three women playing that mm-hmm. part. So fair. But yeah, Sarah Brightman wasn't in original casting either. Yeah, they locked out with her. They really did. And it is it's one of those movies you see interviews with the cast, any behind-the-scenes stuff, like the making of stuff, they're all super passionate about yeah. the entire project. Like, none of them are really there for the money of doing it because yeah. they weren't, none of them were getting paid particularly well, I can guarantee. They were there because they honestly believed in what they were making and they wanted to create this. Didn't a few of the cast members carry over to the other two musicals? So um, Zudnik did the other two, didn't he? Devil's Carnival and Alleluia. And Alleluia. And Bowsman as well. It's both of them who did the other two. I think Darren Smith as well. It's all three of them. Um... Alexa Vega carried over, didn't she, to one of them? I think she's in Alleluia. And Bill Mosley's definitely in one of them. Yeah, but the Alleluia Devils Carnival are very... There's not a lot of crossover in cast, and they're very different beings. And there's a lot more celebrities in... Yeah, because am I right in saying that music-wise, Ivan Moody from Five Finger Death Punch plays the hobo clown in Mm -hmm. Devils Carnival... Sean Crayon from Slipknots in one of them. Mm-hmm. Butcher Carnival. Babies are in one of them. Devil's Carnival. Jimmy Urin is in one of them. Devil's from Devil's Mind Carnival. Self Indulgence. Or Hallelujah. He may play the band frontman for Hallelujah. Yeah, he's in one of them. Um, yeah, Emily Autumn is in both of them. For anyone who who knows who Emily Autumn yeah. is, I feel like she's one of those artists I mentioned. People go, "And who the fuck is that?" Then please. Yeah, because I think I think with the other two films he hired a lot more musicians because this one has a lot of musicians behind the scenes there's a lot of famous people that contribute to the soundtrack that aren't in the film because of the production budget Mm -hmm. but i think with the other two he got a lot more because the other two feature a lot more singing they're they're more they're more like music videos rather than plot actual plot based films whereas this is a this film has an actual story and the songs service the story Whereas the other two kind of feel like extended music videos, therefore they have a lot more musicians in them. Yeah, um, I, I would say that. I personally wouldn't recommend the other two. If you like this, I would say just stick with this. I don't think you need to see The Devil's Carnival or Alleluia. I don't think they're very rewarding watches. 
And it's yeah. kind of like, it is that law of diminishing returns of, you guys did a musical once, but then I think you went to the well too many times, and I don't think you caught the lightning in a bottle that you were expecting to when you did, did this. And I think that's why those two movies are kind of lesser known. And after that, Darren Lynn Bowsman's star started to fade a little bit. And I don't mean that as a criticism, but it was like he wasn't making films that were like... He was making passion projects for him. He was falling further away from the mainstream. Which is... There's nothing bad about that. I mean, I I feel very differently. Hallelujah, I don't like so much because I feel like it really gets super muddled really is, quickly. Is Devil's Carnival the one with the guy who's like the criminal who's looking for his daughter in yes. hell? That's the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty confident it's supposed... Like, um, originally was also supposed to this was originally supposed to be a trilogy repo I'm pretty sure Alleluia is also supposed to be a trilogy mm-hmm. because they follow into each other so the whole thing is about the battle between heaven and hell yeah aren't they like based on Aesop's fables yes the devil's carnival is so all the stories the... you see in there are based on um, Aesop's fables yeah yeah and like because Zudnik plays the devil doesn't he and he's like he reading do. from the fucking book and the so. Aesop's fable book yeah, yeah. And it's a, I would highly recommend Devil's Carnival, maybe not Alleluia, because I don't enjoy it, but other people might. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got off topic yet again. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was a massive passion project, to the point as well where um, not only was Paris doing these DJ events to make money for the project, she donated her wardrobe mm-hmm. to help um, dress um, the extras. My God, does it show. <laughs> <laughs> All of so um, all of the Zydrate support group members are wearing Paris Hilton's clothes. Like actual clothes. Actually, yeah. her clothes. Yeah. She literally. They were like, "Fuck what we gonna dress these people in?" And Paris was like, "Hang on, let me go to the slutty section of my wardrobe. I will be back." And just arrived with fucking outfits for everybody who needed them. Mm. And like, I know Paris gets a bad rap, and people don't particularly like her. I've always been a big fan of Paris Hilton. Not the work she does, because let's be honest, she's not in much shit I watch. I don't um, watch The Sweet Life or whatever it was called or anything like that. But she is a an incredibly talented person. Anyone who can pull off Dumb Valley Girl for as long as she did without getting caught out is impressive. I will say two things on Paris Hilton. Stars Are Blind is a fucking banger. <laughs> and that song was recently brought back into the consciousness because it's in Promising Young Woman. Yes, it is. Um, I've seen that scene because they put that scene on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like the film is actually so. This podcast going live on the sixteenth of April. The film will actually drop if you want to watch Promising a Woman. Actually comes out in the UK today on Sky Cinema. Um, but I've seen that scene with that song in, and it reminded me of what a fucking great song it is. And also, if you really want to know about Paris Hilton, if your preconceptions of Paris Hilton are what you have always seen and always known. I would highly recommend watching the documentary that came out last year that was on YouTube called Free Paris. I don't know if it's called Free Paris. Paris I or, think it's called. Yeah, Free Free Britney might be the one I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, I think it's Free Britney. It's um, just called Paris. But definitely watch that. It gives you an insight into what a traumatic life she had growing up and why she was the way she was. The thing is with her is I have been a massive fan for years. Just not even because I'm particular. I, I didn't her. watch... <laughs> I didn't watch all of her shows and shit like that. But she is an insanely smart woman. Mm-hmm. She became the head of Hilton. Still reasonably young. She was a very old. She's in her she early 20s, has she? quadrupled 
the worth of that business. Mm -hmm. She made a household name for herself. People were wearing her clothes, buying her perfume, by playing a dumb valley girl persona. She's so ridiculously smart. Yeah. And I will always have the utmost respect for her as a human being. I don't particularly like the things she does, but I will always have the utmost respect for her as a human being and as a businesswoman. And, like, the thing is, as well, like, a lot of people criticise her because of the, like, sex tape and oh, stuff like that. Oh, fuck that. She's not the only person to have a sex but tape. Everyone loves fucking Kim fucking... This is, this is, this is literally the face. point I was about to say was, obviously, she engineered the release of her own sex tape to raise her profile and fair fucks to her. I mean, Katie Price did it, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee, when theirs was, and I'm doing air quotes, stolen. Um, and then, so she basically gave Kim Kardashian that idea. Kim yeah. Kardashian saw how well it worked for her and then did exactly the same thing. Yep. And and yet the the entire universe seems to praise Kim Kardashian for where she's at, yet we're still shit on Paris for having elite sex tape. That's a point, actually. I'm going to make a recommendation at this point in the podcast. There is a book that has come out by Sadie Doyle. I can't for life remember what it's called. Oh, Trainwrecked. Trainwreck, yeah. And it's literally about this very phenomenon. It's about celebrities and the way that we treat them. And Paris Hilton gets talked about quite a bit in it because it's all about the women that we mock, that we fear, and the reasons why we do it. And it's all about the, the things of like, why can't a woman leak a sex tape? Why does that automatically make her a slut? Why can't, you know, and it's all about the things like when what happened with Britney Spears, what happened with people like Whitney Houston, Amy Winehouse. So I would kind of just because we have talked about Paris Hilton a little bit, I would also recommend if anyone is interested in kind of seeing that kind of thing written down in a book, I would highly recommend it. It's by Sadie Doyle, S-A-D-Y Doyle. Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon. She's got another book as well. Yeah, I was going to say also, as soon as we do do horror films and they are like horror characters are covered in her other book, she also has another book called uh, Dead Blondes and Bad Mums, which is about the treatment of women in mythology and in fiction. Mm-hmm. And they cover like um, horror characters in there as well. So um, I'd highly recommend it. I've been reading that one while you've been reading Trainwreck. So we need to trade them yeah. over at some point. But yeah, Train Trainwreck is um, yeah. It's, it's I know you got you've got a super into Trainwreck because you keep telling everyone about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I come downstairs. I've left my laptop open on my like <sighs> when I'm talking to my my work friends. I've nipped the loo and I'll come back and he's sat chatting to my work colleagues about how great this book is. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, when this episode goes live, I'll post a link to it so you can buy it on Amazon or you can get it on Waterstones. I would recommend her book, though, because she's, she's, it's really well written as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the cast. That's the whole <coughs> brand about how much we actually love Paris Hilton and how everyone should treat her with the respect she deserves. Um, What's and... Nikki up to nowadays? Huh? What's Nikki up to nowadays? Nikki? Yeah, Paris's sister. Wait, she's a sister? Yeah, Nikki Hilton. Joking, babe, I know who you're on about. I have no idea. She kind of faded from the spotlight and just. Yeah, I think she just got married and settled down, didn't she? Yeah. Fair place to her. It's not the life for her, it's not the life for her. Hashtag so Paris. I'm gonna go through my favourite part of this the IMDb synopsis. I'm so intrigued as what IMDb say about also, this. Also, I just realised I did not a synopsis. <laughs> not a synopsis, no, a synopsis. Um, So, a worldwide epidemic encourages a biotech company to launch an organ financing programme similar in nature to a standard car loan. The repossession... The repossessing... Oh, fuck me. The repossession clause is a killer, however. 
I feel like this is going to be the headline on the front of a bunch of newspapers some point in the next couple of years when the Tories sell off the fucking NHS to privatisation. Probably. Probably. We are one to two years away from this movie happening at IRL. Well, I mean, the movie's only set, what, 20 years from now? 30. 34. The, the movie's set 34. Uh, 36. 35? 35, yeah. 35 years from now. Um, but the company, so Co started 20 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. So we are very close to us being in a world in which <coughs> this movie was set. <laughs> which is a little bit terrifying. I hate movies that affect us in the future because you get closer and closer slowly to that future you're like... Well, when the fuck is this going to happen? Mate, it's like so many films, though. Like, when you look back at it now and you're like, that movie was set in the quote-unquote future. Like, Terminator 2 was meant to happen in, like, 1995. And, like, Escape from New York uh, by the great John Carpenter is set in 1997. And it's, like, this fucking future world where, like, half of... Like, New New York has basically been walled off and turned into a prison land. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? But um, we'll get into the movie, because otherwise I feel like we're going to go off on massive other rants about other shit. Um, So, we open the movie on comic book pals? Yeah, and it says, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. That's the only, like, vague... See, this movie is so vague about a lot of things. This movie is vague about where and when it's set, and how Jinko rose to prominence, and exactly what they're doing to get these organs... I mean, it, it's all very, like, hinted at and very, like, you know, it could... I, I, I mean, the time frame's quite easy to figure out because we know when Marnie died mm-hmm. and we know how old Shiloh is. Yeah. So we know it's based in 56, 57. We're aware of that. Uh, the organ thing, I'm pretty sure they explained in the opening panels and yeah. they created, basically, genetically created modified organs, like mm-hmm. the perfect organ. So they're making them in labs. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, yeah, no, not okay. But see, one of the questions this movie okay. raises raises for me, and I'm going to I'm just going to address it now before we get too far into it because otherwise I forget. So we get this we get this idea that the 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 organs have come from somewhere, whether it's they've been created or or however it is that they're coming across mm-hmm. these organs, and they have the little barcodes on them. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the the point of Geneco is that they have the they do have these like genetically perfect. Um, organs but another another thing that the film doesn't address the film gives a lot of information but it doesn't really it, it puts information out there but I don't think the movie's really interested in answering any of the questions especially oh. this one because you never actually see this one put into practice mm-hmm. is what happens to the organs once they're repossessed do they get reused so for example if like if I if I purchased a heart from Gene Co and I've been using that heart for 20 years that, that heart's been like used for 20 years and maybe i'm a disgusting human being and i just eat a lot of like sugary foods Mm. and like high cholesterol foods and stuff like that now if i lose my payments they take that heart away from me then what happens to that does that heart can somebody else purchase that heart does it get thrown away does it go down in price does it lose value so i feel i feel like you're really reading way too much into this for one well no like the film sets up a world and a concept let me finish my train of thoughts. Um, they're genetic, so they're, they're, uh, from everything I like, have taken from the film, is that organs are genetically created in a lab. 
Mm-hmm. So they're non-harvested organs. They're made in a lab. Uh-huh. Perfect organs. So I'm assuming if you've used it, it gets repossessed. Just gets incinerated. Yeah. See, that's my thing. Like, it's not me reading too much into it. This world, this film, sets up a world with its own set of rules and its own thing as part of its world building. If you don't want to give me those answers, don't set up that world. Don't set up those concepts if you're not willing to pay them off. That's all I'm saying. The thing is, though, it doesn't need a payoff. You don't need to know what happens to the audience. Mate, it's not important to the plot of this movie. Bro, it would be like Jurassic Park fucking going, here, we've got some dinosaurs. Well, how did you get them? Don't you know, fucking need to know that. Dinosaurs. <laughs> but what happened? No, the thing is, though, maybe that's not. Because that's how they get the organs. They don't explain. They, they create a yeah. genetically perfect organs. But the whole point of the film is that the organs are repossessed. So what happens to them? They probably just get fucking inside. It is not important to the plot line of this film. Also, I really do... I hold umbrage with the fact that you say this movie is about repossession. This movie is not about the repo men in any way, shape or form. That is just a plot device for this movie. The movie is about the relationship Shiloh has oh, with the other characters. Yeah, I understand that, but I'm just saying, like... You are so freaking nitpicky about shit. I just, I just, it's just a fun movie. We don't need to know what happens to the organs, babe. You don't need to know. I just want to know. Bro. You don't need to know. I just want to know. You don't need to know. Okay, fine. I just, just want to know. God. Oh. Why did I want to do movies I liked? I should have known this was exactly what was going to happen. I was just getting really irritated with you. Just just keep going. But we do have the comic strip. We get introduced to Gene Co, the company, uh, the founder, Rotty Largo, um, and the idea that there is genetically created organs, and if you don't keep up with your payments, they will get repossessed, much like if you bail on car finance or mortgage payments or anything like that. I love how you mention car finance, because that's the industry that we both work in. So, we then <clears throat> skip to the first song. Yeah, can we just can we just talk about the film and then we'll talk about the songs later? I don't think we need to talk about the, the songs necessarily as we go along. I'm not going to talk about the songs as I go, but like the songs that forward the plot, we have to discuss them as we go. So through we then meet Repo for the first time. We see him doing his job, chasing down a woman in the middle of the night, hacking her up, taking her liver. He's taking something out of her fucking bag. Ripping something out of her, I don't know. Um... And that's kind of the introduction to the world that we are in. Mm-hmm. You get some lovely swooping shots into the city. Um, Doesn't matter what happens to our organs, though, don't do it. <laughs> oh my god, drop it. I'm going to throw my tea on you. Um, we get some lovely swooping shots of the city and we get to see like, the piles of corpses mm. just, like, lounging around. How much of this movie do you reckon was set and how much of it do you reckon was just filmed against the green screen? I have no idea. I think it most it was actual sets. I don't even think the city was green screen. I'm pretty sure it's just CGI. Yeah, because there's, some, there's some scenes in it where it does definitely look green screen, or it does definitely look like the background's not there. I don't know, babe. I've never, to be fair, I've never really normally been paying that much attention to the backgrounds. Mm. I'm normally singing along. You are you really focus so much. Bro, I'm I think there, it's like I'm just I think it's because we just watched it on Blu-ray and this is the first time I've seen it like in HD and I'm just like what the fuck is going on? Like <laughs> why is everything so red and yellow? Why is there so much red? I feel like I'm a fucking peanut M&M convention. Okay. Right, anyway. Anyway. On. So, um we then meet properly Rotty 
Amber, Luigi, and Harvey, mm -hmm. who have all been being not so good. Yeah. I think it's the best way to put Isn't it. There, is it implied in this movie that some of the siblings are having sex with each other? Maybe Parvi and Amber, not so much Luigi, I don't think. Because in some of the pictures that he's looking at, Parvi's there and like Amber's there in her underwear, like on the bed next to him. I think Parvi's just contemplating cutting off her face, in yeah. all honesty. It's, it's numerous jokes at some point, like in one of the, at one point, um, Parvi says about Luigi and Amber, Amber, my brother and sister should fuck. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's less that I think it's just more that they are really uh, not nice people and they don't particularly like each other as either. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's actually anything going on there. I think it is just generally mm -hmm. they are all horrible and they hate each other and their dad and probably their mum, who I'm assuming is dead. We don't find out about their mum. She exists somewhere in this universe. Well, I mean, that's another interesting point, isn't it? Of uh, who people's parents are. parents are, which comes up quite a few times in this movie. Because the thing is, how long were him and Marnie together? Is there potential that Marnie is their mother? I don't think so. Like, I wouldn't have thought so either. Because she's a lot younger than Rotty, I think. Yeah, and this is, see, this is another thing, like... Again, without being too nitpicky, questions that are raised in this film of like, how long... Rotty's main through line in this film is that he was in love with... He's fucking Snape. He was in love with... Marnie. Marnie, who left him for Nathan, who was his like, best friend or his co-worker or some... I don't think they were even like, friends. You never really... Just, they never really yeah, you never really establish how strong that bond between those two is. But you never get a sense of like, how long... Rotty and Marnie were together. All it says is there's like a newspaper clipping and a couple of comment panels that say, you know, they were in a relationship and he was going to marry her, but you never get a sense of how long they were together um, or, or like, you know, at what point she left him for... Because the reason why I mention it is because he was he obviously pined for her and was going to marry her and then obviously she married Nathan. You have no idea of how long her and Nathan were together for him, for then Rotty to have married somebody else, to have had these three I children that were like considerably older. I feel like the children older. were pre-existing. Yeah. So to they were to the, Marnie. Yeah. Um, and then she left him at the altar and went and started banging Nathan. I don't really know. Yeah. They don't really give you much of a time frame. I think it's partially because that information is not really that important. Mm -hmm. All you need to know is that um, Marnie left Rotty and started dating yeah. Nathan. Like I. I think it's one of those things that they'll give you the information that is needed, but anything else is just extra information that, in all honesty, could have really bogged the story down. Yeah. Because there's a lot of information they could have given you that they don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so we meet we meet the um, Largo siblings and the father. We find out that Rotty is dying. Um, he has something wrong with him. Yeah, he's got... I think he might have something similar to what Shiloh's got. No. He's got some form of blood disease, I think. I don't... It's never explained. I think it's his heart or potentially, like, cancer. Well, it's... one of the scenes where he... So there was a scene that they changed where when he, he sees Amber's face, he would have coughed up blood. But then which he... makes me think it's a problem with his lungs. Yeah, he refused to do the scene, so they changed it, which is kind of what made me think that it was maybe something, like, blood-related. 
It's internal anyway, let's put Yeah, it. I'd say it's probably something to do with his lungs, but he's dying. He's not got very long mm-hmm. to live. And he's basically decided he doesn't want to leave the company to his kids. Because they they're all fucking arseholes. Are arseholes. Um, well, so what, Pavi likes to steal people's faces. Yeah. Luigi likes to kill people for fun. And, and Amber is, is addicted to Zydrate. She's addicted to Zydrate, which is like... And surgery. And surgery and dick, apparently. Because they make a lot of references to how she's a slut in this movie. Um, I think it's less saying that. I don't, to be fair, I don't want to use the term that she's a slut because she's not. But she does use sex to pay for drugs. Well, no. I, the only reason why I use it is because fucking Luigi outright calls it her. At one yeah, point. no, I know. But there, I, I wouldn't call her that so much in the context of the rest of the film. Mm. The only time we really see that side of her character is when she uses drugs for sex. Mm. Really does sex for drugs. Um. And I think most of that's in a deleted scene as well. I don't think it's even... And, it's referenced, <clears throat> implied quite heavily, but never seen. Because Zydrate is like a morphine-type thing in this world, It's a it? surgery drug, so yeah. it basically makes surgery painless. Yeah, it's like some kind of, like, super... Yeah. Super painkiller. So, yeah, Roddy doesn't want to leave the um, business to his kids because they're all dickheads. Yeah, <laughs> they are fucking assholes. Yeah. Um, we then get to meet Shiloh for the first time in her mum's tomb. So she's having a picnic in her mum's crypt. Like in a mausoleum. Yeah, yeah. She's like got a little sandwich and a bush. She's so fucking emo. This fucking kid, man. Like she, like to say that she's a central character in this movie, she is fucking irritating. Oh. Like I, I don't. I love Shiloh. Like I don't like her really. She just I love me off. Shiloh and I think I love Shiloh for the reasons of she her character is exactly the kind of person I would expect her character to be with how she was raised and her treatment from everybody outside of her like in her mm-hmm. permanent sphere of influence. She's just a bit of a like non entity. We'll, we'll get to her character a little bit later on because it come, becomes a point later on in the movie where it part, does play into the plot quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um so she's having some dinner with her mum. Because, you know, you hang out in a team and do that, apparently. And she goes to catch a bug which escapes out of the window. So she sneaks out to go and catch it. And runs into Grave Robber. Mm-hmm. Who is my favourite character. To say he's basically the narrator. He is my favourite character in this in this entire thing. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Um, and he's out robbing graves. It's literally all he's doing. And it's really funny though, because like um, this is all done in song, obviously. But like the the there's a whole thing about grave robbers will be shot on sight. Like grave robbing is prosecutable; like, you will be killed. So he's go- he's hunting for Zydrate, which is found inside the dead bodies. It's inside your brain. Mm-hmm. Um. So he basically takes it from dead bodies and then sells it on the street. And he's all like, there's the police are hunting around the graveyard to make sure there is no grave robbers. So Shiloh runs into him and he's like, you need to be quiet, like, we need to be quiet, be shh. And he's literally leaping up in the middle of the graves and screaming, graves! Mm-hmm. Because that's not, you know, in so, any way drawing attention to yourself, grave robber. His character, and this is part of the reason why when we were watching it, I mentioned about the bugs. His character reminds me, and the Zytrate thing reminds me a lot of um, Bioshock, mm-hmm. the the video game. Because in Bioshock, there's um, a thing called Adam, which mm-hmm. is what they make the plasmids from. And the little sisters, which are the little girls in it, are filled with it. So that's what the big daddy protects. And... It, 
in the game you get the moral choice of you can kill the girls and harvest the Adam from them or you can let them go. But in order to do it, you have to fight the big daddies. And then that's kind of what this reminds me of is like, you know, stealing the Adam to get like the extra plasmids and things like that. Um, and that's kind of what this this reminds me of is the whole thing from like Bioshock of like extracting this drug from the dead bodies that has these like whatever properties it has. And I thought because the bug that she's chasing is the same colour as the Zydrate and I thought that that's why she was trying to catch the bug until you filled me in that she's a fucking nerd and she's got the bugs in the book which completely went over my head. Yeah, she's got bugs pinned to boards all over her bedroom. Yeah, which kind of passed me by. Yeah. I think the headdress thing that her... Um, the mannequin head that her um, wig is on in one of the next... I think it's the next scene after this has got butterflies on it. Maybe. So that kind of ties in with the motif of what you're saying about having insects. Um So... Yeah, she she runs into Grave Robber and they end up trying to escape the Jinko police together. Mm-hmm. But they get captured. And just as they're about to be killed, uh, a repo man shows up and stops them. And then Charlotte passes out. Because she has a blood disease. It's never really... The, the explanation of what this blood disease is in is never really addressed. It's just a blood disease. Oh, wait. It's something else that they tell you that they don't tell you what it actually is. <laughs> Well, no, we get the explanation at the end, but you, yeah. like, during the yeah. movie, you never really get an explanation of what her blood disease really is. Mm-hmm. She inherited it from her mother, and that's all you're really told. Um, so, we kind of get home. Nathan gives her her medication. And then that's kind of where that part of the movie kind of ends. We see he heads down to the basement after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gives her like a whole tag off about not going out, like takes her wig off and kind of just basically is like, hey, I'm Anthony Stewart Head. Yeah. I'm fucking awesome. Fuck you, fucking awesome. I'm going to leave. So we find out then through comic books mm-hmm. again that Shiloh inherited the blood disease from her mother who died as she was giving birth. Yeah, it's a bit sketchy. It's a little bit sketchy. later on, Blind Mag says to her, I heard you died together. Or I heard you died with her. So, basically, what actually happens that we see in the comic books, but the rest of the characters, nor not all of the other characters are aware of what actually happens Mm -hmm. in these comic book panels. So, um, Marnie was ill. They're mainly just to fill the audience in on exposition, aren't they? Yeah, Marnie was ill um, with a blood disease. um, And... Nathan thought he'd found a cure mm-hmm. and gave it to Marnie and it killed her and then he had to decide whether to try and save Marnie or to save Shiloh. So he saved Shiloh and let Marnie die. Yes, that's pretty Which much is the really long and short of it. That's the long and short of it. It's quite sad. Um, so Nathan is obviously quite overprotective. To say the least. To say the least. Um, and again, she has so she has the same blood disease of her mother, so she's just taking medication regularly. She's got like an alarm watch that tells her when to take her meds and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we 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 get that, and then we have another song where we basically have Nathan just complaining about how he's a really good dad, mm-hmm. and he tried his hardest. Yeah. So Rotty lures Shiloh. That sounds so crazy. I know, it does sound weird, doesn't it? 
little shout out to um, Jinko Fair with the promise of having a cure for her. Yeah, it's like this weird carnival type thing that they're having. Like, it's it. It you know what it reminds me of seeing this scene because there's no real context for what this scene is. It's it's kind of it is a fair. It's like a carnival. It reminds yeah. me of like a student fair. Mm-hmm. Like what are those student fairs that you have like every year? Uh, Freshers fair. Yeah, Freshers fair. I don't know if Ameri- I don't know if that translates in America. I don't know if America really has them. No. So I imagine it's like in America, it's like that scene in the beginning of Pitch Perfect when they're walking through the like halls of the university and they've got all the people like handing out the flyers for like the deaf, the different clubs, the and deaf stuff like... DJ club, oh, and the deaf Jews club. Yeah, and like the Bellas and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that's what it reminds me. It reminds me of a weird freshers' fair. Like those things are crazy. Yeah, and um, while we're there, we, we see the Largo siblings again. Because, of course. Of course. Having an argument about who's going to inherit what in the will. Mm-hmm. And we also meet Blind Mag. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Amber's all like, who's going to sing after you're gone, Mag? Fuck you, bitch. Yeah, she's so aggy in this film. Yeah. Like, Paris Hilton's, like, agged up. Um, yeah, and you see... This is like the scene where you see Parvi having his face put on. His face put on, yeah. You see um, Rotty, nope. Luigi, Luigi. stab a guy because he doesn't like his coffee. Yeah, he just like legit stabs him in the middle of the scene. He's like, what's this, cat piss? And stabs him. This is another thing about this movie. Like, how fucking powerful are the Largo family? Because they're just going around like fucking murdering people left, right and centre and nobody does anything. From everything you kind of see in the film, I feel a little bit like they are basically what would be the equivalent of like the ruling family. So like the presidential family or the royal family of this weird city. Roy Lago is Donald Trump, yes. Um, Sure. We'll go with that. So, um, Rotty basically explains that Mag, Meg, Mag, Mag is soon going to be stepping down as the Jean Co. spokeswoman. She's retiring. And he makes a joke about how the, uh, her eyes belong to Jean Co. Yeah, because that's one of the subtle things that this movie does that you don't really notice it the first couple of times you watch it is that there's like a couple of like radio adverts or like the billboards have like vocal adverts on them and she's the voice on a couple of them there's yes. like one where um it's either around this scene or like later on in the film where Shiloh's on her bed and you can hear like blind mag talking yeah uh, and she's like i'm the, vo- like, voice the voice of, of Jinko. yeah yeah and it's really well done like it is so well done that you don't really think about it until you know obviously the story and you know that she's like the spokesperson for Jinko because there's fucking loads of posters hidden in this movie in like different scenes with her face on she is as much as she's not necessarily in this movie she's always omnipresent yeah she is like the face and voice of Jinko yes um so it's really funny though with this scene because obviously Rotty lures Shiloh there saying he has her cure but I don't think her and Rotty really interact bar him picking her up to take her there. No. Because he basically explains that he knew her mother and that's kind of it. And then she's just at the fair and she's like in a tent on her own, just like really freaked the fuck out. 
Yeah, I think there are a couple of moments in this movie where he thinks about like Darth Vader and her and telling her that he's her dad just yeah. to fuck with her, but then he doesn't. Because I am your father. You can kind of see it. Like, there's a couple of times where he's like, "Oh, maybe, oh, maybe oh, I'll tell her." Should I fuck with her? Nah, let's not. Um, but so yeah, she's in this tent on her own after arriving at the fair, and it's really fucking spooky. Like, she met Mag. Really exciting for her. She's a huge blind man, blind Mag fan. Um, but. She then runs into Grave Robber again. He breaks into the tent, obviously, to try and steal some Zydrate supplies, I'm assuming. And, uh, he's the f- least stealthy person in the He's, he's so stealthy. fucking shit. I what was really interesting, though, is because like, when you watch this, like they run into each other multiple times throughout the show, and he calls her kid. I don't think they ever exchange names at any point during this movie. He only refers to her as kid. True. And she refers to him as Grave Robber. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was looking this up that apparently Grave Robber is supposed to be 21. But he's about 45. I don't know how old Terence Dick is, but he's a lot older. Yeah. <laughs> he's a lot older than 21. Um, but apparently, I don't know how true that is, but apparently Grave Robber is supposed to be around about 20, 21-ish. Mm-hmm. So, like, watching the movie with that concept in mind, their relationship with each other kind of makes a little bit more sense. Because they're vaguely similar in age. Like there's four years between them if he is, in fact, supposed to be in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching it without that like, context, it's just really weird. Because he's like some like adult dude who's hanging out with a very... A child. 17-year-old girl. Yeah, he just turns up in these really like creepy moments as well. He's like, oh, hey. like, Sup, kid? <coughs> yeah, it's um, fucking weird. But he helps her escape. And I think this is part of the reason why I like Grave Robber as a character because his interactions with Shiloh are generally quite innocent and he's just trying to help her out of situations. Yeah. He's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, again? I'd love to know his origins, though. I'd love to know... Like, I would have, I, I'd love to know... I'd love to know who or what Robert. he was before, like, all of this. Like, how does he end? How did he How did he end up being the Grave Robber? I would love to know that story. Because yeah. he's one of my favourite characters. He's also one of the most interesting characters in this movie as well. Because he's he's basically the narrator mm-hmm. of the entire story. And he, he's kind of like an audience, the audience conduit for like the other side of what society is like in this dystopia. Yeah. Because most of the main characters... Like, barring Nathan, because Nathan and Shiloh, we don't really get an idea of what their, like, class status is. We know They're that... quite upper class, I think. Yeah. And we know that he... Well, obviously, we find out the reason why he works as a repo man. Um, but, like, they live in a fucking mansion, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. or what would be a fucking big house. It's a huge house. And, like, everybody, really, we kind of see is from, like, a, a rich background. So, other than the support group, and the grave robber, we never really get an idea of like the underbelly the un- of like, this world. Yeah. yeah, and like even the people that the repo man kills, you have you know that they're behind in their finances, but you don't know what they do. Like there's there's no like as much as this film builds a world, like you never really see why people are poor, like how they become poor, like you never really. And I'm not saying you should, but like it's nice to kind of see him as a character, like on the outskirts of like. What what society is because you're led to believe that this from the beginning of the film you're led to believe that this is kind of a place that used to be a thriving city or a thriving yeah, planet. Yeah, it's kind of like it used and to he be says that like it was a New York kind of place. Like there's a lot of skyscrapers and stuff like that. Yeah, and it said and like a Grave Robber says at the beginning like that this place was built on the bodies of the dead. 
So you kind of, like, we know that there was an epidemic that obviously killed a lot of people. Um, or, or kind of... This movie, missed. like, the more we've talked about the fact that this is based, like, after a worldwide, like, pandemic, I'm like, oh shit, yeah. are we literally getting into, like, repo is going to start soon? But, like, we don't know, like, what the poor people are doing now, like, how, like, how hard they have to work, like, what the tiering system is, or what the status is for how they get past for, like... The thing is, I can see where you're coming from, and I would be quite interested to know all of that. But it is again one of those facts that it's not necessity for this. Oh story. no, of course it's not. It's like, it would be really interesting to know all of that back information. Yeah. I'd, I'd love like, to. I'd love to sit down with like um, Darren Smith and Terence and Nick and basically pick their brains about like what was the rest of this world like. But because this is, I really need to know. This is what we were saying the other day, though. That as much as this film didn't perform now, if a streaming service bought the rights to this, we could have like a limited series. We could get a prequel series. We could get the the other films. We could get things that would fill in this backstory of, Mm -hmm. like, you know, because you kind of get the impression that all the people that are being killed obviously can't pay for their organs. So how did they get the organs in the first place? And that's what I mean. It's like, I imagine, like, this whole place and Geneco is not like the NHS. It is, like, a privatised... I think the thing is, though, I, I get your question of, like, Oh, how are they? How are they getting the organs in the first place? But I feel like you just need to look at like the world we live in anyway. Like you know, people who get their property repossessed and <coughs> they can't keep up with. Oh payments. yeah, hundred percent. Like, like it's quite easily done to get finance and then not be able to afford it and fuck yourself over. Mm. Only in this one, it like, leads to your death instead of just a mark against your credit file. Do you think, given how the fucking like uh, health service is in America, this movie is like fucking terrifying to Americans? <laughs> It'll be terrifying to us in a few years when they privatise the NHS. Yeah. Jesus. Fuck. Let's not complain. Let's not contemplate it because it makes me really scared. Um, Boris Johnson becomes the new Rocky Largo. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. That is absolutely <coughs> terrifying. But um, yeah, so Grave Robber helps Shiloh escape and they head to the the back alleys of this world. And we meet the members of the Zydrate support group, who are like all Zydrate Zydrate addicts. And we find out a little bit more about what Zydrate is. Um, And then we also get to see Amber pop up um, and basically... uh, Be sexy for ten minutes. Be sexy. Yeah, it's literally what she does. She comes to basically be like... Hey, Grave Robber, give me some Zydrate. I can't pay you, but give me some Zydrate. She, like, there seems to be this running theme of, like, she doesn't really pay him for Zydrate. And I'm like, you is rich. Yeah. Why are you not paying this poor man for the drugs? You're rich, and you're, like, one of the potential heirs to Gene Co. How do you not just have, like, an endless supply of this shit? Exactly. Like, how are you not just going into your dad's office building and saying, fork it over? Yeah. Like, that whole thing of her being, like, this poor junkie woman is like fucking such a weird it's subplot. a weird subplot but i feel like part of it is because rotty is like if i find out any of you have given her zydrate you will be fired on the spot yeah i feel like i feel and like that we will repossess your organs immediately yeah there's like a little a little bit of a weird because she's supposed to be like the the voice the um like face of the zydrate support network yeah um, but yeah, there's also a scene cut out from this part. There was a, another song that was in the movie that they've used, split in some of the footage from, to go into Zydrate yeah, Anatomy. Yeah, um, Can't Get Up If The Girl's Breathing. Yeah, Can't Get Up If The Girl's Breathing, um, which is basically just Paris Hilton rolling around in her underwear. In blood. In water? Oh, it looks water like blood. Because it's like, 
all red hued, and it, I think it's. I think the implication is that it is blood. Yeah, and it's basically like, just her, like basically trying to pay um, grave robber in. Yeah, sex. and they're like kind of simulating sex in the blood, which is kind of interesting. But like this scene with Paris Hilton in it is like this is her showcase. She comes out. She's got basically. She's got like underwear on. She's got like leather underwear on. I think yeah, it's like a leather rubber. Yeah, she's got like kind of what looks vaguely kind of like dominatrixy gear. She's yeah. got like um, leather leg pieces, a corset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a corset. It's an under underbra corset with her bra out. Yeah. And yeah, she's uh, escorted by two of the Jinko guards. She's got a black wig on. Yeah, she's got a black wig on. Because she she looks... has some fierce wig game in this video. In this yeah, because I commented that she looks like Jessie Lee. Yeah. Who, if anybody doesn't know, Jessie Lee is a an alternative pornographic actress who Harris Hilton looks. She's an adult entertainer. Yeah, who looks? She looks minus all of the tattoos because Jessie Lee's quite heavily tattooed. But Paris Hilton looks strikingly like her in the sequence. And to be fair, it's one of the best sequences in the film. It's the most musical esque sequence because it is. There's nothing else going it's on. A, it yeah. literally is like a. It's essentially it's a, call, a music video. It's kind video. of like a call and response a little bit as well because yeah. it's like. Um, what is it? Zygent comes in a little glass vial, a little glass vial, a little glass vial. Yeah. And it's like, so it's it's Grave Robber, the Zydrate addicts, and then Shiloh. Yeah. Or Grave Robber, Shiloh, and then well, yeah, one, because of the, one of the, the ways... Way they, the way they frame it is, he says it as a statement, they back it up as a statement, and then she asks it as a question. Yeah. So, yeah, because he says... As I drink comes a little, little glass, glass vial. She a says, glass vial. she says, a little glass vial, well, and, and then, then they, they back up what he says by like, reaffirming yeah. the statement. But yeah, it's it's basically like it's essentially a Paris Hilton music video in the middle of this movie. Is essentially yeah. what this is. It's a great song. I love this song. But yeah, so we meet all the Zydra. The cop show up. Yeah. And uh, Grave Robber basically drags Shiloh out of the alley and. The two of them leap onto the back of a garbage yeah, truck. Yeah, they sketch on the back of a fucking yeah. garbage truck. To escape. Yeah. And this is like another one of those moments where, yet again, Grave Robber is in some way defending Shiloh. Because yeah. at the beginning, he tries to rescue her from the cops. He drags her into the underground tomb. At the fair, he helps her escape from the fair. And then here, he helps her escape from the cops again. Like, there's this really strange relationship between the he's, two of them. He's, like, essentially her Jiminy Cricket. A little bit. But he's he's... Less, you know, don't do that, it's bad for you. He's more like, mm, maybe you should do it. <laughs> maybe you should do it. He's like that, he's like that, um, he's like, he's like a fat Amy, and she's like, sometimes I feel like I should I could do crack. And I'm going, mm, maybe not. Yeah. So basically, great problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, um, Charlotte gets home, and back into the house, and uh, we, she has a visitor at the gate, yeah, blind Mac. Blind Mac pops up, and she comes. And she drops and she, the sickest song in the yeah. Song. So we, we get Chase the morning, which is a absolutely amazing song. This is when we this is when we finally kind of properly see the actress who plays Marnie mm. for the. I mean, she she's in photos around the house, but she's moving to a degree in this. Yeah, because blind Mag projects her. She, from yeah, her so from her eyes. eyes, she can like uh, show. Memories. Mem- well, no, they're not even memories. They're kind of like little short videos. So, like, if you're using a... What are they called? The machines that show films. Projector. A projector, yeah. So her eyes have, like, got built-in projectors. Yeah, I feel like them. he I feel like he mentions that it is, like, memories. It might or, be memories. Because well, there's a little bit where they're talking about putting the eyes in, and I think it's in the comic book or in the sequence where 
that's showing her have her eyes put in. And he says that she can like project the lyrics to the songs to like show stop. So basically what the lyrics of the songs are, they play as like a visual, Yeah, I think, or something along those lines. Yeah. So there's like a video element of what goes along. Basically, she's got fucking sick Cyclops laser eyes, basically. And they have like a little thing and she explains to her that she's her godmother. And then Nathan fucking shows up. Like well, Nathan, head. so while, while um, Meg is singing to Shiloh and telling her that she's her godmum, Nathan is actually at the Jinko headquarters and Roti, Roti is trying to get him to repossess Meg's eyes. Meg's eyes. eyes. Jesus Christ. It's like, Take that bitch's eyes out, son. And he's like, I ain't And he's that. all like, I can't, I can't. Like, she was Marnie's best friend. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get the backstory of how um, Mag got her eyes. But Nathan shows up and ruins everything because he's an asshole. He does a lot of ruining in this movie. He, he's a very ruinous person. Um, and yeah, he's all like, Mag, you need to leave. Shiloh's ill. Like, get the fuck out of my house. Shiloh, go to bed. Um... And Shiloh's trying to explain to Nathan that they need to protect Mag because the Repo Man is going to steal her, steal her eyes. eyes. Um, which leads to another excellent sequence in this movie of Shiloh basically being a petulant teenager, mm-hmm. screaming and singing. And we get a cameo appearance by Joan Jett, which is just an it amazing little it. cameo. And it all kind of culminates in um, Nathan smacking Shiloh. Yeah, he backhands the fuck out of her and knocks her to the floor. She's a dickhead. And she passes out again. She's a lot of passing out in this. Mm. Um, So when she comes to, Nathan is uh, basically hovering by her bed. She's essentially fucking Alaska from fucking Drag Race. Is it Alaska who kept falling asleep? No. Um, Oh, who's the narcoleptic one? I can't remember what her name is. Jinx Monsoon. Yeah, she's essentially Jinx Monsoon in this this fucking film. She passes out a lot. Yeah. Um, But she comes to, and Nathan's like hovering by her bedside. And he's like, Shiloh, you need to take your medicine. And Shiloh says to him, "Um, why did you never tell me that I had a godmother? And Nathan (coughs) Nathan goes, oh, I don't know about you, must have been dreaming. Yeah. Fucking gaslighting asshole. He's, he's fucking awful in this movie mm-hmm. like he's one of those characters you're supposed to feel sympathetic for him I've never felt sympathetic for him watching this film ever and I'm just like no you're an entitled knobhead and I hate you um, but yeah so while Shiloh is kind of in and out of consciousness she gets a call from Rotty on her wristwatch that Nathan hears basically telling her to come to the opera the tonight, opera tonight um, because he has her cure mm-hmm. Um, so Nathan does a whole Jekyll and Hyde routine. Yeah, he sings. Is it he sings Mon- "Let the Monster Rise"? Is it? Is it? Is it no, that. Or is that like later on when she's like later saying she's going to kill him? Yeah, yeah, it's later on. Um, but yeah, he does whole back and forth Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, the sequence is between, fucking great. It's like Nathan and the Repo Man. Oh yeah. Also, because he's a fucking massive creep, he has his wife's dead body. Cryogenically frozen in one of his. Walls. I don't think she's been cryogenically frozen. I feel like she's just been um, backlit. He's like taxidermied as well. Taxidermied and backlit. But like my theory, my theory with this is obviously because uh, grave robbers tend to steal from graves and take the zydrate from bodies. I feel like it's a choice to not actually bury your dead and keep them in your home, mm-hmm. so that um, grave robbers cannot get to the bodies. Yeah. 
I also feel like... But I feel like you could have done, done maybe something different than sitting her down in a chair and backlighting her corpse. Like, yeah, one, of, one of my theories about this film kind of plays into this a little, and I'll talk about that when we've discussed it. But I also feel like he kept her hidden in the home so that Jean Co couldn't get a hold of her. Potentially also a chance. Um, but it's like one of those things, though, like, um, in fact, by Mag, Mag even says it. She says, um, Nathan, you've turned this house into a tomb, mm-hmm. which is literally what the house is. Like, you go through, whenever you get a long, a long shot around the house, like, her body is preserved in the house. All, all of the portraits on the wall are different portraits of Marnie. Oh, uh, they're all, um, oh, excuse holographic. me, they're all animated, aren't they? Yeah, they're like, all, like, holographic ones as well. There, it's, it, it, it's a tomb to his dead wife, and it there's is. A, there's a scene in this movie, and I, I, I swear to God, it's, it's this scene. And if they'd pulled it off, I would have fucking laughed my ass off. Because mm-hmm. the scene where he's walking down the corridor, and it's all like blowing wind and shit, reminds me of the It's All Coming Back To Me video mm-hmm. by Celine Dion. If you know you want to see that music video, go and watch it immediately. It's fucking great. But there's a sequence in that video where she dances with her dead husband, and I'm like, if Homeboy had fucking cracked that wall open and fucking danced with her corpse, I would have laughed my fucking balls off. If, if that's if that's what it led up to, him like having a fucking moment where he like... Because the thing is, like, it would have made so much more sense if they'd had a, a scene where he's like... Conver- Interacting like, with conversing his dead wife, yeah. Like, if, he, if he'd had... Because like, there's, there's songs where he like... There's that song, isn't there, where he like... I can't remember which song it is, but there is the like the song where he says, "Money, I need you now," dun, dun. and he's like singing to her, and he like makes reference to like how he like, and he's like literally talking um, to oh, her. Oh, legal assassin? No. Yeah, it is legal assassin. Yeah. No, it's not. That's not the song title for that one. It's whichever song it is where he, he's singing to her about Shiloh. And he's like, I am only living out a lie. Assassin Murder Monster. If he'd sung that song to her, like in some form of like him repenting for what he'd done, it would have made so much more sense for them to have put her in the house. It feels like a weird fucking aesthetic choice of like so many reasons as to why she could be there. Like, as you said, it could be because he's protecting her from grave robbers or he's protecting her from Jinko. Or maybe homeboys having sex, or I don't fucking know. Like, I genuinely don't know why she's I feel she's like it's that. not the third option, because she's quite obviously, like, encased in the yeah. glass. Like, I don't know why she's in that fucking thing. Yeah. But if, he, if he'd if he sung that song to her, because in the, like, literally the beginning... He's of the, singing it to her portraits, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, because, like, literally at the beginning of the song, he says, Money, I need you now. Okay, please stop And, like, he, he mentions <laughs> about, like, how Shiloh's sick and how he, like, yeah. all this shit. Yeah, like we'll talk about the songs a bit more later on because I feel like have, it needs its own section. Yeah, he defo should have had a moment where he's talking to that dead body. Yeah, but, but um, Shiloh then wakes up, and there is on the boards the billboard outside of her house. Roy has also put a message of like, "My driver is outside. Um, I have your cure." So Shiloh sneaks out as Nathan sneaks into the basement and basically goes against the Jinko cops. Mm-hmm. And he's like going full blown like assassin, stabbing the shit out of people. Shiloh leaves through the front door and is met by Rotti's driver to take her to the opera. Mm-hmm. Now there is a there is a scene missing from this. 
there's another cutout scene. So, uh, like a needle, a needle in a bug would have fit into this section yeah. here. So you see as you leave the house, uh, the glass case that had Marnie's body in it has been broken and her body is missing. So in the original cart, when Needle and Bug was in there, the first stop before they went to the Jinko headquarters, um, they would have stopped at the graveyard and um, basically the cure was Zydrate. That was um, the cure for um, Shiloh. And they were going to trick her into removing it from her own mother's body. Right. Fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Not at all creepy. <laughs> um, but they cut that scene out. Yeah. Thankfully. The song is in the credits, but they cut the whole scene mm-hmm. out. Um, but you can't, it is on the deleted scenes, I believe, of the Blu ray yeah. release. And the song's on the soundtrack. And the song's on the soundtrack. I think you can watch the video for it on YouTube as well. Because mm-hmm. they did film it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so we then see the opera tonight. And everyone is heading to the opera. So. Shiloh's on her way there. Nathan's on her way there. His, on way. his way there. Mike is on her way there. Rotty and the kids are on their way there, and they're all singing at the opera tonight, and it's all quite dramatic. It's an actual banger, this song is. It is an actual, but it's all quite dramatic. Um, and we arrive to the opera. Mm. Of yeah, because there's like a few noticeable thi- the notable things that happen at this, like. Uh, Luigi and Parvi are kind of like the gentlemen in arms. They're like the masters of ceremonies. So they're like talking to people in the audience about how great Jinko are. The people in the audience are like, I like got new liver. I got new kidney. And that woman gets naked and she's like, I look great on TV. She's got tits out and it's fucking weird. And Parvi's like, I'm going to fucking steal that woman's face. You can see he's looking at her. He's like, ooh, girl, I'm going to get your face. And then they introduce uh, Rotty who turns up. And then he gives like a speech and then he's like, oh, blind mag in her last perform. No, Amber performs first. Amber performs <laughs> and then her face falls off. Her face falls and off. And everyone boos her. And then blind mag comes out and does her last she performance. performs um, Yeah. As she's performing, Nathan turns up and gets seen backstage by Shiloh who batters him over the head with a shovel. Yeah, she finds out that he is the repo man yeah. she didn't know up until and this point. And then that's point. when he sings, let the monster the rise. Um, and as as that crescendos, you see Mag finish her performance. She whips out these big fucking like metal fingernails and like digs her own eyes out. Yeah. Which causes Rotty, because she's like suspended on a, like a wire. Rotty cuts her wire and she comes down on a metal gate and dies. And, dies. and he convinces everybody that it's part, it's of, the part of the show. It's he fine. tells everyone that he's dying and he's like, fuck all of you, you're all idiots. He's like, I'm fucking dying, fuck this world, fuck all of you, fuck my yeah. kids. And Shiloh and Nathan show up on he stage. He fucking mic drops out like a bitch. Yes. <laughs> but Shiloh and Nathan show up on stage as well and it all kind of comes to a massive crescendo if we kind of find out what the whole plan was. Yeah. So uh, uh, we forgot about his mention about it earlier because there's another um, comic book scene that we miss where we find out that actually Rotty is the one who killed Marnie. Yeah. Because he put poison in the cure that mm. Nathan was going to give Marnie, which is not relevant to this specific moment. But yeah. I just feel like I should I've probably mentioned that and I'd forgotten to mention it at the time. Um, but yeah, so we then kind of find out the whole plot of so basically. Rotty wants Shiloh to kill Nathan, and if she kills Nathan, Rotty will sign over the whole of Jinko to her in his will. Mm-hmm. And fuck, 
me. It's a plot and a half. It's a twisty, misty yeah. one. He he basically convinces Shiloh that he he basically tells Shiloh that Nathan's been poisoning her yeah. the whole time, keeping her hostage, and that like he, in terms of like the cure, the cure is just her freedom. Like there's nothing wrong with her. Like there's nothing wrong. But a point got made, and I noticed it earlier, and I hadn't really thought about it. I'm pretty sure the pills that Nathan is giving Shiloh are Zydrate because mm-hmm. they're the same blue. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about it until I watched it this time. I was like, holy fuck, they're probably Zydrate. Yeah. Which would make sense. She just needs to... She's just addicted to them. Yeah, she just stops taking them. Stops taking them, goes through withdrawal, she'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Roddy explains, basically, he's been poisoning you your entire life because he's an asshole. Now kill your dad. Mm-hmm. And Shiloh doesn't even really consider doing it either. She is very much like, no... Rotty, like, does so many G moves in this movie. Like, he's, like, he's, like... The thing is, he fucking hates Nathan because Nathan, like, stole his missus away from him. But he's, like... He's the fucking smartest man in the whole movie. Cause he, at no point is he, like, I'm getting on hands day. Never kills anyone. Never threatens... Like, he threatens people. Never kills... I mean, he kill. He technically kills Mag. Yeah, I mean... But, like, in terms of... Like, he gets Nathan to do most of his dirty work for him. Mm-hmm. Even the person that gets shot at the beginning, it's one of his, like, Employees henchmen that who does, does it. it. Yeah. Like, he just, he just, he's he's so fucking insidious and he's so, like, clever. He's just, it's so fucking cool how he, like, moves around this movie. He does. He's a, he's a, and plus as well, um, Paul Savino is amazing. Yeah, he's a fucking great actor. He's a phenomenal like, actor. And he's a trained opera singer as well. Yeah. And pretty confident. cool. Don't quote me on that, but, guys, like, he's, but I'm pretty confident he is a trained opera singer. Like, considering he's, like, the quote-unquote villain of this movie, he's the character you feel the most sorry for. Mm. Kind of. Because I don't I don't really feel sorry for Shiloh. I'm just like, meh. So, but yeah, so he kind of... It all comes to a head, and it ends with Shiloh refusing to shoot Nathan. The light's cut, and Roti, Roti kills Nathan. Which is a big change to the original stage play, because in the original stage play, Nathan didn't die. He, he lived. He lived. But yeah, and then we get kind of like this quite sweet moment between Shiloh and Nathan of um, I Didn't Know I Loved You So Much, which, which is a heartbreaking song. Which is a lullaby that Darren Smith originally wrote and sung to his son when he was a kid. Aww. That is so cute. Oh, that makes my little heart a little bit warm. Didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and she leaves the opera mm-hmm. and that's basically where it ends yeah. Shiloh leaves and the film ends we get a quick flash of what happened so uh, Luigi, Pavi and Amber inherit the company, inherit the company. Uh, Amber sold her face at auction and Pavi bought it and Pavi bought it and Luigi killed the other top three bidders <laughs> Yeah. And then the movie ends. Yeah, it's such a weird ending. <laughs> it's a weird ending, but it's a fun it's a fun ending. I quite like that that's just how it just ends. Um because it is it is very reminiscent of like an opera. I know it doesn't follow the standard opera format, but it is a tragedy, which I feel like is a requirement if you're gonna do an opera. Yeah. You can't have it a lighthearted opera, I feel like. Yeah, and it's one of those things like it came out so it came out in two thousand and eight. There was the film that came out the year later, which is Repo Men which follows the same sort of story, but without all the music. Um, and the only reason why I'm touching upon it was because, obviously, it was just... Repo is such a unique film that it was just so 
weird that there was another film very similar to it that came out around the same time. Yeah, well, I um, know I know the guys, so um, Bowsman, Smith, and Zudnick have all said that there's nothing untoward. It's not a rip-off of Repo. Yeah. It's kind of just like a Deep Impact Armageddon situation. Yeah. And the thing is, as well, is I'm pretty sure the actual original story for Repo Men was written before Repo came out. Yeah, it was written in 1997. Yeah. It was a book called Repossession Mambo. Yeah. So it's not like they did rip it off, but I think it was... It it had so many similarities, I think a lot of the fan base took a little bit of umbrage to it. Yeah, like, it was never an issue between the creators. It was, like, a whole big thing online. You, like, you had the people that liked Repo Men, you had the people that liked Repo the Jetic Opera, and there was a lot of mudslinging between fan bases online, whereas the makers of both properties just kind of went, really, like, just support each other, like... Yeah, they were all very much like, it's fine, we've got no issue with each other, things just watch the person's film. As Terrence Zudnick said, they were like, that film isn't a threat to us because our film is like mainstream and we're counterculture and th- with our limited release, we're definitely not a threat to like a fucking giant blockbuster with Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker in it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, and t- for the record, like Repo Men fucking sucks. It, I, I did not enjoy it. I watched it because it was a similar plot to Repo and I was like, I'm quite intrigued to see what a Hollywood blockbuster would have done with the idea of this. And it's just not enjoyable. I didn't find it interesting in any way, shape or form. So before we go into like our final thoughts on this film, I'm going to chuck a grenade out into the fandom world. Okay. And talk about my headcanon for this movie and where I feel this movie fits into um, the world. Okay. So as we all know, or as anybody that has spent any considerable amount of time with me knows, I am a huge fan of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. And I have always posited that this is set in the same universe as Blade Runner. Okay. And that's why the movie is so vague about where and when it is set. So, in Blade Runner, there is the... For those of you who have never seen Blade Runner, the, the, the kind of quick synopsis of Blade Runner is that there's a company called the Tyrrell Corporation, which creates um, human-looking androids called Replicants. And they were developing uh, the robots for space colonization. So they were developing the replicants to go and do jobs off world. So they were finding off world colonies and having them set them up and basically make them inhabitable for people to go and live on. So the original Blade Runner movie is set in 2019. Now, my theory, and it's only a theory, is that Tyrrell who is the runner of the Tyrrell Corporation, was Rotty Largo's original mentor. Mm-hmm. And Rotty worked for him and saw the capabilities of what he could do. Mm-hmm. And basically, the reason why the the, the plate, the state is, in, is, is that it's in is basically all of the replicants that started the colony had kind of died out when Tyrrell died. And Rotty, being his kind of, you know, apprentice, saw a bit of a gap in the market for, you know, I can kind of carry on something in his legacy and kind of take this planet that's now kind of inhabited by humans and no longer has androids on it. And I can kind of make something of it with the resources that I've gained and, you know, kind of rose to prominence through that way. And there's a line, and, and I even factored into this, Blade Runner 2049, which obviously came out years after 
So the way that Blade Runner twenty forty nine factors into it after the effect, because Blade Runner came out, Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out in two thousand seventeen, mm-hmm. and this movie came out in two thousand and eight. But it kind of works because I looked at it for, for taking that movie into effect, and would it still work in that universe of all the things that happened in that movie? So Nathan Wallace mm-hmm. is in my head canon, the brother of Neander Wallace. So Neander Wallace is the character in Blade Runner 2049 that was played by Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. So he kind of developed a similar sort of race of replicants as to what Tyrrell was developing, but he also developed human cloning. So once Marnie had passed away, Nathan was distraught and Neander said to him, look, we are developing human cloning. I can bring your wife back from the dead. And this is what kind of drove Nathan to say, no, I don't want this. I need to protect the thing that I have. I'm not willing to bring my wife back from the dead. However, Rotty was part of, having worked for Tyrrell and seeing what Tyrrell did with replicants, Rotty was actually a silent partner who funded Neander Wallace to get back at Nathan to spite his brother. And through genetic cloning, that was what was originally where Gene Co were getting their organs from. Mm-hmm. So Neander Wallace, as part of a startup company with his clones and his replicants, was actually silently funded by Rotty Largo on the proviso of, you supply me the clones that I can harvest these organs from, which are the dead bodies that you so see... <laughs> which are the, which are, are the dead bodies that you see at the beginning of Repo the Genetic Opera. This is so intricate. What the fuck? So I'm like looking at you like you are insane. I've kind of always posited that Rotty Largo was a silent partner that helped to fund Neander Wallace's Nexus program and his human cloning facilities. And it was where he was originally getting his um, clones from. But obviously Neander Wallace dies in Blade Runner 2049, which is set seven years before Mm -hmm. Repo. So therefore, that was when he, through working with Neander, found the way that he could actually create the genetically improved organs and create his own set of organs. And that's where Blade Runner would fit in this timeline. Okay. With, which would also mean, if Ridley Scott is to believe, that this is also set in the Alien universe and Soldier, the Paul, Thomas, Thomas and, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson movie, is also part of this universe as well. But yeah, I've always long posited in my head that Blade Runner and uh, Repo Genetic Opera are connected. And this is just set on one of the off-world colonies that was founded by replicants in Blade Runner. Okay. That was so many words that I just did not understand. But I mean, I like the head cannon, sure. I've <laughs> nothing for you. Should we talk about the soundtrack quickly before mm. we before we wrap this up? So the s- soundtrack for this film is a fucking amazing, and b apparently it is not including the credits songs. Fifty one tracks of just lyrical songs. That's not including the score. Yeah, fifty one songs, and they cut ten from the movie. There was sixty one originally, mm-hmm. not including. I think there's two of them from the credits yeah, that aren't part of the cut songs. Sarah Brightman sings an additional song at the very end of the credits. Aching Hour, that, which has been cut out of yeah. the... And there's a song that Yushiki wrote, which is part of the end credits as well. Yep. It's... Yeah, that's it. The thing is, is the songs in this movie are wonderful. 
And I think we both have our separate favourites, but then agree on one of them mm-hmm. specifically. So, like, I love Zydrate Anatomy, which is my favourite song on the soundtrack. And then yours is... My favourite song on the soundtrack is Chaser's Morning, but I also really like At the Opera Tonight At well. the Opera Tonight, yeah. I think we both agree on it At the Opera Tonight, but we have separate favourites. Uh-huh. I do love Chase the, Chase the Morning, don't get me wrong. Um, it's just a generally great... The thing about the soundtrack is, as well, is the sheer amount of fucking people that worked on it, as well. Oh, fuck yeah, I was about to talk about that. So not only for anyone who doesn't know who Yoshiki is, which I feel like is like a weird thing to say for me because he's someone I've been aware of for a very long time. Yoshiki is the drummer slash pianist for X Japan, who are a very, very, very famous Japanese rock band. They are essentially like... The queen of Japan. Yeah, they're like the biggest rock and like they're massive, like over the world. Oh as yeah, well. massively. Which is why it seems weird saying it, but I know a lot of people who've never heard of X. Well, Japan. they did. Um, there was a documentary that came out about four years ago called We Are X. Yeah. Um, and then they did a. They sold out Wembley Arena, and they were going to do a showing of the film at a concert at Wembley Arena. Yeah, because it was wasn't it Wembley, and then like four nights at the O2. No, it was just one show at Wembley. I don't know why I thought they were doing the O2 as well. Oh. But yeah, they um, for some reason it got cancelled. I think one of them got injured or something. And they Potentially. But um, yeah, like I was really surprised to find out like how big they were. But then it kind of makes sense that they were either a big band or Darren Lynn Bowsman was a fan because it seems like an obscure choice for them to have ended up on the Saw soundtrack otherwise. They are so... one of those bands as well that I feel like if you haven't ever heard of them, you're missing out massively. Um, Four is a great example from the Saw Saw soundtrack Mm -hmm. because it's a beautiful song. And they also have a song called Tears, which is heartbreaking to listen to. And they sing in a mix of... They sing some songs in English, some songs in Japanese Mm -hmm. because Four is in English. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't know if that was a condition of you can be on the soundtrack, but you have to write a song in English. I feel like it wasn't. I feel like it was just a a, a choice because Tears, I believe, is in half Japanese, half in English. But they're fucking great. They're a fucking great band. They are. And so Yoshiki, who is... To the point where he has met the British Queen. Because his scarf hit her in the face. Yeah. It was all over the news <clears> and nobody knew who he was. They were just like, man, scarf hits Queen in the face. So I was like, looking at the photos, I'm like, fuck, that's fucking Yoshiki. Because he's really famous, isn't he? Like, he Massively has a famous. lot of, like, famous... He's worked with so many big name artists. Yeah. Because he <clears> is incredibly talented. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's like he's performed at festivals worldwide, just playing the piano for other artists mm-hmm. because he's so respected for what he does. Um, but he he helped put together the score for this movie, um, and you can feel his hands on it as well at points. There are certain songs in this film you listen to, and you're like, you can if if you especially listen to Extra Panel, you know Yoshiki's work. Mm-hmm. You can hear his influence in the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're not just that though. I mean, the, the 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 names they got together for this. I mean, we're talking like uh, Sean Crahan is it? He's on it from Slipknot. Um, Sonny Moore from from First Last or also Skrillex. Yeah, he's basically yeah. Um, I'll say the names you'll have to say what bands they're from because I'm shit and stuff like this. Uh, Ray Lizier. Ray Lizier is a drummer for Corn. There we go. Uh, Stephen Perkins is the bass player for Jane's Addiction. Yeah, Blasco is the bass player for Rob Zombie slash Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, David J. I, I know the is. name. I can't remember what group he's in. He's a, he's a replacement member for yeah. quite a big band. Um, Daniel Ash. 
Aaron Embry and Rami Jaffrey are also... Rami Jaffrey's from Foo Fighters. Yeah. So they really... But they've also... Richard Patrick's on this, who's the singer from Filter. And also, um, there was another person that was mentioned. Uh, oh, Ashburn Miller, who was in um, Dead by Sunlight, which was... Or Dead by Sunrise, which was the other, other, other band that Chester Bennington was in. So everybody always remembers Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park and Stone mm. Temple Pilots. But he was also in another band called Dead by Sunrise. And Ashburn Miller was in that band and he was also in Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. He may also, at this point, be in Orgy as well. So he's also another quite famous musician um, as well. Just because I was like, I know their names, I can't remember they're from. David J and Daniel Ash are from Bauhaus. Yeah. So, I was like, I know the name. Makes fucking sense. And I'm, more, I'm surprised more members of Skinny Poppy aren't on it, to be fair. Um, yeah, because obviously Ogre is in it. Involved, but. Um, but yeah, the, the level of talent they got together to produce a soundtrack for this film. And I feel like a lot of it was done on just, again, passion and favours mm -hmm. owed. Because they're the kind of names I can't imagine on the budget they had. They got together quite easily. And the thing is as well, like Richard Fortas is on this album, uh, who was in Guns N' Roses. And I kind of half imagine if when he was in Guns N' Roses, they've been talking about making this fucking new album for years. If he didn't already have just like a bunch of material that was written for maybe like a Guns record and he probably just pre-bought riffs to this. And like, I, th I feel like that's probably like a lot of the musicians that were on this, like this was when Rami Jaffrey was just like a touring musician for the Foo Fighters. So like, I imagine they're like session musicians who are brought in and, and they maybe had kind of like a framework of what they wanted to do or maybe they brought their own ideas or, you know, because at this point, like Ray Lizier wasn't in Corn and he wasn't in, like Rami Jeffrey wasn't in Foo Fighters. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting collection of people to be like, and especially for something that is weirdly a singular vision Mm -hmm. To have that many people be like contribute songs, and I do kind of wonder if they broke the artist down into like individual bands and said, "Right, you four write this song, you four write well, that song." I don't song, know you so, three much, write this so much if they wrote. I know they, um, or if the songs were written. musicians yeah. for the soundtrack. I don't know how much influence they had on the soundtrack themselves, but yeah, um, they're all musicians for the deluxe edition as well, so they're not on every edition but they are all the musicians for the deluxe edition am i right in saying that a couple of members of dear and gray wrote on some little played no. on some of the tracks as well because i thought that was a thing i thought i'd heard that they played a guitar or something on some of them they may have been involved with the devil's carnival potentially yeah i thought um, for some I've reason they were involved in this. but no that would have been fucking amazing but yeah, no i thought they were for um, some reason <clears throat> But yeah, it's just all, all in all, it's one of those movies where it is a culmination of so many great things mm -hmm. that it does create this kind of, I will forever call this movie a bit of a masterpiece because it is basically the best of what you're going to get for mm -hmm. something like what was created. It's um, a movie that we definitely didn't, like 2008 people did not deserve this movie. Like no. It's definitely a movie that people didn't deserve. I mean, we still don't deserve this movie. This movie's fucking great. Like, it's amazing. And it doesn't get the respect it deserves. It's a great... Like, don't get me wrong, there'll always be complaints about it. Like, they don't go enough into other plot details. But I think part of that is due to the fact that it was originally planned to be a trilogy. They keep so talking they, about making another one. But they can't, because Lionsgate own their rights. Yeah, which I think is... It would be up is, to Lionsgate. So if anyone wants to, like, bombard Lionsgate to request they make them... Do you know what, though? Fairly up for it. This but, would be Darren Lynn Bowsman's time 
time if Spiral hits and Spiral's super popular, like I'm, I'm hoping it will be for him to say, "Oi, Lionsgate, you know that." If we like revisit this, revisit Repo. I yeah. think it'd be quite difficult, especially because I know they want to do a prequel and a sequel. Mm-hmm. Prequel, not so much, but I feel like a sequel would be quite difficult at this point, unless they set it a long time after the original movie, just because of the age of the cast now mm-hmm. in comparison to when it was filmed. Um, the thing is there's nothing to say that it would need to contain all of the same characters I think the plot of this movie was wrapped up very well you I could... mean I would like to know what happened to Shiloh yeah. and Grave Robber but, like, but you to could be do fair that the amount, the like amount the of makeup Terrence and Nick wears in this movie he could probably still be Grave Robber yeah I mean in terms of like the Shiloh stuff, you could quite easily do that in a comic book panel, or they've got that fucking de-aging technology now, they could just like... Oh, I mean, to be fair, um, Alexa Vega, or Alexa Pena Vega, as she's mm. now known, yeah. doesn't look that much older. She doesn't really age, which so, I hate her for a little bit. For me, personally, there's things that I would like a sequel or a prequel to address, like, as I've said to you countless times watching this film, like, I'd like to know where the organs go, like, I'd like to see more repo men. Because you're led to believe that there is more of them. That there, that there, he has a whole workforce, but you only ever see Nathan, which I understand because it's his story, it's his kid. But I would like to know more. <laughs> I was going to say we spoke about. This. I'd like to know more of the ins and outs of like how Gene cooperates. Oh yeah, how definitely. you become how you become a repo man, and like the thing is as well, like are repo men, like is there something in that contract? Like I'd like to know more about that world. Like if, for example, you were a repo man and you had to get organs from the company, could your organs be repossessed? Or is that something like you work for the company, you work off your new heart, or you work off your lungs by working for the company? Like, there's so many intricacies and interesting concepts that this world sets up that I would love to see explored in, like, a TV series or more sequels. I feel like with something like that, it would be the kind of thing that we would probably get addressed if they did a TV series over a movie, because it's... I feel like it's some some of the stuff like that is it's information that kind of bogs down the flow of a movie. Yeah. Like they do really good with this of not bogging you down because they use comic strips to address like major plot points from history that you need to be aware of to watch the film. You get really quick snappy bites of here's the information you need. Mm-hmm. Let's continue with the story. And I think that's why they don't really address all of this stuff is because it is quite a snappy movie. Everything that you need to know Oh yeah, it's got a, is a very addressed in pace. either flashbacks or in a little song by the Gravedigger because he's got one at the beginning, the middle, and the end, mm. and he just kind of gives you little bits of information you kind of vaguely need. Yeah, um, I don't necessarily think I'd want the other two films in the trilogy if they make them, or a TV series if a TV series was to happen to be musicals. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that the other. I feel like the problem is though is that with this world, it has been built as a musical world, so it would. I feel like there would be a lot of backlash if it was not then also musical because of the kind of world that they have created. Mm. I just don't think now any songs that they wrote or anything that they did would be as... I can guarantee you there is already in a fucking book or a vault somewhere (laughs) about 600 additional tracks that they wrote. Yeah, probably. can guarantee the shit out of it. Because I bet you they've still been writing them. I mean, they don't know if they're ever going to make it, but I can guarantee you they have probably still been writing the fucking songs for these films. But like, this is a movie that I love. I love telling people about this movie. I love trying to explain this movie to people. I love everything about this movie. As I said, I like weird, like, one-off movies that, like, people don't give a shit about. That I'm like, I give a shit about it. I like, give a shit. You know, and it's like, there's so many movies that have come out over the years that have, like, been like this. Like, 
you know, that people have looked at years later and gone, maybe we were wrong about that or like have found an audience. And I love, I love seeing that. Like, I love that being a thing that people look back on and go, oh, fuck man. Like, why did I not know about this movie sooner? And like I said to you, this is the movie that you tell one friend, they tell another friend, they tell 10 more friends. Like it is that kind of sort of movie that I just, I just, I, I don't think there's anything else really that I can say about this movie other than... It deserves more love than it gets. I think yeah. that's the message we have for this entire I think episode. my fear with it is if they made more, that it would somehow diminish <coughs> what it has. Like, we've seen things that were, like, really brilliant original ideas get, like, run into the ground because of, like franchising and things like thing that. The thing is, I feel like as long... If they were to make more, as long as Smith and, and Zudnick... Maybe not so much Valsman, um, but um, Smith mm-hmm. and Zudnick especially, <coughs> continue to have control, <coughs> that probably wouldn't happen because I feel like it is a project much made of love for them. Yeah. So should we do our ratings? Yeah. Where do you sit on this one? Five. Five. Yeah. It's, I'll a, give it's, it a, it's a solid it's five. It's a solid five. It's a solid five axes out of five for me. Always yeah. has been, always will be. There's not really much else because we. I think like the thing is, is we could sit here and record a six-hour episode on exactly why we love this film because mm-hmm. there's so much to unpack with it, from character traits and behaviours and everything like that. And it's a wonderful film, and I think it definitely deserves a five. But it deserves a lot more love than it is given. So if you haven't seen it, <coughs> why the fuck have you listened to the episode for one? Um, but if you've not seen it and you have listened to this episode for some ungodly reason, go watch the film. Yeah. Give it some love. <coughs> you can get it pretty cheap on DVD, like on eBay and Amazon. And it's currently available on Now TV over in the UK if you have mm-hmm. access to Now TV. It's in that horror section. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you if you buy it from Amazon, just throw some money at it. Maybe hopefully it'll make it more money and they might make us some more. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that's it. So, uh, coming up next week. Next week, we're going to be looking at The Babysitter. And on Friday, we also have our 5x5 five five mm-hmm. of... <laughs> I've just realised as well, this episode, I said at the beginning of this episode when I was talking about Promising a Woman, this episode isn't going out on the 16th. This episode is actually airing on the 12th of April. So, Friday, this coming Friday, when we'll be dropping our next 5x5, five five, which will be on our top five favourite foreign language no spoilers that's the week after Uh, we wrote them out yeah we recorded them we've recorded it hang on one second so we can remember horror tv shows yeah so so yeah (laughs) forget what i said at the beginning i said about promising old women that's out on friday so you'll be able to watch that on friday the 16th of april um and then on the Friday, the 16th of April, we'll be talking about the top five favourite horror TV shows of ours. And then next week, the 19th, 19th. we'll be looking at The Babysitter. There we go. We finally got our shit together. <laughs> As always, come, come find us on Pod on Twitter, So I Married a Horror Fan, Instagram and Tumblr. And we'll see you in the next one. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.